tried to lift my hands in total adoration unto you. You reign upon the throne, for you are God and God alone. Because of you, my cloudy days are gone. I can sing to you this song, and I just want to say that I love you more than anything. I lift my hands in total adoration upon the throne for you are God and God alone because of you my cloudy days are gone I can sing to you this song and I just want to say that I love you more than anything I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. 
tunes. Well, good afternoon. Thank you to uh, my brother Scott Gibson for your gift of song as far as reminding us about the love of Jesus. And of course, it is great to be back as far as Bible study is concerned. We're going to work on getting the sound uh, to a place where we can uh, make sure that it comes through our system with great clarity. Uh, I have missed being able to share with you all, but we thank God for this wonderful opportunity to be able to uh, get back as far as the Word of God is concerned. Over the next, I want to say probably few months, we're going to be studying uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians at Philippi. This is one of the letters that he wrote while he was in prison. And of course, it's a very poignant letter. Uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote to perhaps his favorite church. And while I know that we should not have favorites, this church was a church that was not a big church. Uh, however, they were a very fruitful church. Uh, they were a church that supported the ministry of Paul and did not give him a lot of headaches. There were some things he had to deal with in this church, as, of course, with any church. There is no problem-free church that exists as far as earth is concerned and of course this letter that Paul wrote, writes to the Christians at Philippi demonstrates that but the church at Philippi was nothing like the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus um, he loved the Philippians and so we're going to over the next few months uh, pour through this particular letter and I pray that it will be very impactful uh, and very helpful as far as those that are listening to us is concerned. So let's go ahead and let's get started as far as a word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask that you all will open up to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to work on today verses 1 through 9. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come because we really love you. We thank you for who you are in the person and personality of your son, Jesus Christ. And we come to you, O oh God, because we realize that after all is said and done, there is no one in heaven besides thee that can empower us through the trials and tribulations that we are facing in times like these. God, we come to you right now and we realize that we need you to illuminate your word to our hearts and our minds. Show yourself mighty and show yourself strong, for God, and we'll bless your name for that. Now, God, you, the teacher, show up right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and what I want to do is uh, have you to highlight or underline certain words if you're using a physical Bible or if you're using a digital Bible. Uh, we're going to pour through this right now, and I'm going to ask that you will underline some things that we're going to drill down on as far as our time together is concerned. So that being said, 
let's go ahead and let's get started. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. If you would, circle Paul and Timothy, underline bond servants. Circle Paul and Timothy, underline bond servants. To all the saints, if you would, circle the word saints. In Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Or in your book, it may say overseer and the deacons. Underline overseer and deacons, or bishop and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Circle the word grace and peace. As we move through this, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, if you would, underline the word God. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy, if you would, underline the word prayer. Circle the word joy. Verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, if you would, highlight the phrase, your fellowship in the gospel, circle the words from the first day. Verse 6, and this is a verse that a lot of us Love the quote, but we take it out of context. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to highlight that whole verse. Because again, we take this out of context, and I hope to set the context right during this time. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch in both my chains, highlight the word chains, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, if you would, circle the word defense and the word confirmation. Circle the word defense and the word confirmation. You are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Highlight the phrase with the affection of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, and I pray, underline the word pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge. Circle the word knowledge. And in all discernment, circle the word discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. Underline the word excellent. That you may be sincere. Underline the word sincere. And without offense, underline the word offense. Till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Highlight that phrase, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Which are by Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. If you would, highlight the phrase glory and praise of God. Amen. That is what I would call the, the exegetical work that we have engaged in thus far. And so now let's go ahead and let's start 
talking about a couple of these verses. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishop and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's opening to the Christians at Philippi. And notice that Paul's name is listed first because he is considered to be the author of this letter, but it's also followed by his son Timothy in, in ministry. So Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. The members at Philippi also knew who Timothy was, so that's why Paul put and Timothy. Now, just a little background because there's a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy basically known as 1st and 2nd Timothy as well. So he wrote a letter to Timothy really explaining to him certain things he had to deal with as far as ministry and life is concerned. However, that letter is also applicable to what Timothy is expected to do as far as helping Paul with ministry in Macedonia. Timothy was half Greek and half Jewish. Okay? And Timothy was very faithful to his assignment. Timothy did whatever Paul wanted him to do to make sure that the gospel was going to be spread throughout Asia Minor. Uh, Timothy ran errands for Paul. Paul was his spiritual father in ministry. Timothy felt honored to have his name listed with Paul as letters were being written to the church. So Timothy was to Paul kind of sort of like what I was to Dr. Charles Booth and what Dr. Charles Booth was to me. Dr. Charles Booth was like a father to me in ministry and in life. Now notice what he calls himself. He calls himself bondservants of Jesus Christ. This denotes a level of humility. Okay, To be a servant is to be in a humble position. So Paul knew he really didn't have any bragging rights. And when he gave his life to Jesus Christ, dignity and humility set in. Okay? So all of that is kind of setting the tone and tune in verse 1. Let's continue in verse 1 because he says, To all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Now, notice that this letter is addressed to the saints. Okay? Who is a saint? Or what is a saint? A saint is a person who has been separated from the world and considered to be trying to live a holy and righteous life. All right? So Paul is writing to the believers in Philippi. This is for people who have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, even though sometimes they may not have necessarily been living the way Jesus wanted them to live. So what I want to do is I want to help you to understand a couple of things that we can be saints positionally and we can be saints practically. Positionally and practically. Now what is meant by that? Positionally, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are justified by faith because of grace. So positionally, we are a saint because we are in Christ. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to us. We now walk or have the righteousness of Jesus Christ 
in us. Even though sometimes we may not live like we have the righteousness of Christ in us. So that's positionally. But then there's also a practical perspective. And if you think about the concept of practical, uh, from the concept of practical, you get the word practice. So he is not only dealing with those who are positionally justified by faith, but he is also dealing with persons who are practicing being a saint. So Paul is basically pleased with how the Christians at Philippi were living for Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. That as a believer, you're considered to be a saint. If you believe in Jesus Christ with your heart, mind, and soul, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're considered a saint. You're considered a saint at the moment of conversion, no matter how much you sinned in your past. So when God sees us, God sees us covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and then God equips us to live as a saint through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The only way that you and I can live as a saint and come into the fullness of what it means to be a saint is by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right. Now, we also notice that he addresses the saints, but he also addresses the bishops and the deacons, the leaders of the church. Now, in some translations, you see the word overseer and deacons. Um, but back during that time, bishops were considered to be like what we would call pastors. Okay? And so these were overseers of the church. And, and Paul wanted to make sure that he addressed the leadership of the church as well. Because the congregation needed to have people in positions of leadership to equip the church to do the work of the gospel. I would dare say that any institution that does not have structure is going to be in trouble. All right? So the church is God's army on earth. Saints are the soldiers in that army. Now, it is not about rank, but it's about responsibility. It is not about dominance. It's about duty. The bishop is the overseer. Deacons are the servants. Okay? In fact, the concept of deacon in the Greek is diakonos, which is where we get the word servant. So a deacon is really considered to be a servant of the congregation or a servant of the church. All right? So we see that Paul is addressing the bishop, the overseer, pastor, and he's also addressing the deacons. Now, in the church, there are only two scriptural officers. That's bishop slash pastor and deacon. Okay? Those are the only scriptural offices as far as the New Testament church is concerned. All right. Now, let's, let's move forward and let's look at verse 2. Grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. How do you and I get grace and peace from God and from Christ? It is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross when he died 
for our sins. Because Jesus died for our sins on the cross, he bridged the gap between humanity and God. And because Jesus bridged the gap between humanity and God, we are able to get grace and peace from God. Grace, basically understanding what grace is, grace is God's unmerited favor towards us. It means that we did nothing to deserve it. God gives it because God gives it. Now, grace is considered a Greek word. Peace is considered a Hebrew word. Peace, shalom, Hebrew, grace, Greek. What you have in this sentence is a synthesis of Jewish and Gentiles coming together as far as the church is concerned. Grace is a Gentile greeting. Peace is a Jewish greeting. Remember that when Jesus rose from the dead and he met the disciples in the upper room on the resurrection day, the first thing he said to them when he appeared in that room with them that had been locked was he said, peace unto you. He gives them shalom or he gives them peace, the Hebraic greeting or the Jewish the only way that we're able to have grace and the only way that we're able to have peace is because of what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. <clears throat> so let's move forward as far as verses 3 and 4 are concerned. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always making, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with all joy. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Paul loved and appreciated the church, the saints of Philippi. So this lesson he writes is one that is filled with love, care, kindness, intimacy, and affection. He has an attitude of gratitude because of the saints at Philippi. He was thankful. He knew that the church at Philippi wasn't perfect, but it was a good church. And he loved them. Okay? So that's why he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. Now watch this. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He could not go to Philippi. Okay? He could not be with the church at Philippi. In prison, he was kept from seeing and preaching to the saints at Philippi. But notice he says, always in prayer, every prayer of mine, making requests for you known with joy. Even though he could not preach to them, and even though he could not teach to them, it could not stop him from praying for them. Prison did not stop him from praying for them. Now, I'm getting ready to say something that's very major. He could not preach to them. They did not have Facebook Live. He could not get on a smartphone and send a message to the church at Philippi. Could not get on the phone. He could write a letter, but it took some time for that letter to get there. But he could always pray for them. And one thing that prison did was it isolated Paul but there are times when God will use isolation to lead to greater consecration 
and revelation. Let me say that again. There are times when God will use isolation to lead to greater consecration and revelation. All right? Okay. So let's continue to, to move through this because this is just absolutely um, a rich opening. Because how did Paul get to Philippi? The Lord, and when you read in the book of Acts, chapter 16, the Lord came to Paul in a vision. And a man showed up at, in a vision to Paul and said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, when Paul had a vision to go to Macedonia, he didn't know what was going to happen. All right? He did not know what was going to happen. So let's look at verses 5 and 6. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That word first day really goes back to him having that vision about coming over to Macedonia. All right? Being confident of this very thing that God had begun a good work in you to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And watch this. From the first day that Paul landed at Philippi, somehow God had a congregation at the sea waiting for him. All right? He met Lydia, led her to Christ. He was able to free a girl from being possessed by a demon. And it made some of the townspeople that were her handlers mad. They wind up putting Paul and Silas in prison. <coughs> in prison, Paul and Silas, you know that famous text that around midnight, Paul and Silas sang, the pray, prayer, sang a song and prayed a prayer, and the Lord opened up the, the uh, jailhouse doors. Paul, in that moment, led the jailer and his household to Christ. So it was amazing how God was working some things out at that particular time. Now, this letter that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi is probably, some scholars contend, that it's about 10 to 15 years after he led Lydia to Christ. But yet the people in Philippi we're still on fire for Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever noticed that in today's times how there are some people, when they first come to the Lord, they're on fire. They have a lot of enthusiasm. They have a lot of zeal. You can't beat them to the church. But soon that zeal, that enthusiasm wanes. It diminishes. Okay? Paul, Paul writes... Uh, in um, Romans, they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. So if you have enthusiasm, but that enthusiasm is not seasoned with knowledge, sooner or later it's going to wane. Now, this was not the case in Philippi. Their enthusiasm, their zeal for the gospel was on an even keel. Why? Because Paul had deposited a knowledge of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. All right? 
So, let's look at verse, verse 6. Because I want you all to understand what verse 6 is all about. Because oftentimes people, they take this verse and they apply it to material consumerism as far as Christianity is concerned. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And a lot of folks have taken this text. They've applied it as far as uh, you coming into your season. Or you're getting ready to get a new car. You're getting ready to get a new job. The Lord is going to complete the work in you that he's begun. This has nothing to do with materialistic consumerism as far as church is concerned. This has everything to deal with your salvation. Everything to deal with your salvation. Okay? This has everything to deal with your salvation. Paul deals with the day when different people accepted Jesus Christ. Lydia, the jailer, others, how they got saved. Understand that, that the good work in you is you and I being reformed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convicts us. The Spirit convinces us to be saved. And once we're saved, we're called to serve and lead others to Christ. And then the Spirit fills the life of the believer the Spirit gives us the capacity to do the work that God will have for us to do. And then it also uh, is this idea of us being preserved until Jesus Christ comes back for the saints. Okay? So there is a, us being preserved until Jesus Christ returns. Alright? Now, let's continue to drill down because what I want you all to understand is that the saints at Philippi and Paul were partners in ministry. And this was true because they shared with him in his need. Whenever Paul needed something, they stepped up to bat to help Paul out. Okay? So, so notice that Paul is saying, I got this wonderful confidence in you. Great confidence, being confident as he prayed for them. All right? Now, I, 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 I want to, again, continue to drill down on this aspect in verse 6. Because when he says being confident, uh, this is perfect tense, which indicates that Paul had come to a settled conviction earlier and he was confident that it was still true. So what was he confident of? He is confident that God would continue on completing the good work he had begun in them. That good work was their salvation and their salvation led to them fellowshipping and their salvation led to them serving and their salvation led to them sharing their generosity with Paul okay that's what this is about as we move forward into verse 7 in verse 8. 
verse 7 and verse 8, when Paul said, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, that you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, in the first part of, of, of verse 7, um, Paul is offering an apology or a defense for the gospel. Uh, the, the, the word defense is where we get the word apology. Okay? Now, Paul had a lot of confidence in the saints of Philippi. They gave him great support even while he was in prison. Okay? They did not hide their support. They did not mind supporting Paul. However, their support of Paul could have gotten them in trouble with local officials because Paul was preaching about another king. In fact, Paul was preaching about a king that was greater than Caesar, and that king was none other than Jesus Christ. So that could have gotten them in trouble with the local officials. Now notice I had you all to circle the word defense and confirmation because the word defense here is in the Greek apologia, which is you giving a defense for the gospel. And then the word confirmation means guarantee. So the gospel is to be defended because it offers a guarantee. What is that guarantee? That guarantee is that they would be partakers of the grace of God. All right? So for Paul, life was about the spreading of the gospel. For the church at Philippi, their life was about the spreading of the gospel. They had a lot of work that they had to do. All right? Now, notice also that Paul talked about in as much as both in my chains and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. When he talks about being in chains, he's basically talking about the fact that he has been in prison. But also, at the same time, he wants them to understand that even though he's in prison, it does not impede his desire to spread and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these Christians at Philippi did whatever they could to help him share that gospel. All right? Let's look at verse 8 when Paul, he says, For God is my witness, how I greatly long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Basically, Paul was saying, I want to be with you all so bad. I want to be with my fellow sisters and brothers of the faith, but I can't because I'm in prison. Paul was just like what we're going through right now. In today's time, we can't come together because of COVID-19. 
We can't fellowship with one another in physical form because of this coronavirus. And God knows, for those that are watching me, before the third Sunday in March, we would have people in this sanctuary engaging in Bible study, being happy to see each other, asking questions, making comments. But we don't have that now. Why? Because of the prison of coronavirus. And unfortunately, we have a mean jailer at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue who has been caught on tape saying that this thing is worse than he could have imagined. And yet he has put this nation at risk. And folks trying to justify his comments is ungodly. It is really inhumane. It goes against the sensibilities as far as any person who has any germ of humanity within his or her psyche. It is inexcusable. And so because of the prison of COVID-19, we can't come together. Paul was in a physical prison. We are in a prison of a disease that continues to get worse with each and every passing day because we will soon eclipse 200,000 deaths. So he's gloom in his confinement. Many of us, we're kind of gloom in the fact that we can't come together and we can't engage in fellowship, we can't engage in physical presence because of this COVID-19 virus. Let's look at verse 9. Paul says, and I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Now, this is where I really want to, to drill down on it. It's Paul's prayer that the Philippians' love for other believers would run over like a river overrunning its banks. That this love is more than sentimental it is a love that should be knowledgeable and discerning. Now, when you have real knowledge of God and you got depth into insight, that's what discerning basically means, that you got insight and knowledge basically means that you know something. It enables the Christian to love God and love others more. All right? Now, God is love. Let me say that again. God is love. Let, let me say that one more time for, for, for the Holy Ghost. God is love. And because God is love, 
then we have to understand that God has given us the capacity to love. The word love in this text is agape. It is God's love. It is God's unconditional love. It is a spiritual love. Paul knew they loved him. And Paul knew he loved, uh, Paul knew that the Philippians loved him and Paul wanted the Philippians to know that he loved them. They showed it to him. Okay? This was his favorite church. Now, his favorite church has some issues brewing beneath the surface that he had to deal with, but he's going to deal with it in love. Notice he says that the love may be, watch this, abound. Abound. What does that look like? Overflowing, plentiful. Paul wanted them to love those in the church so the folks that were outside the church would see how they love one another in the church and then want to be a part of that love. Now, a believer who is bitter toward an unbeliever cannot lead that unbeliever to Christ. That's why God's love is so important. You cannot, as a believer, be bitter to an unbeliever and think that person's going to be led to Christ through your actions and your efforts. It doesn't work. They got to know that there is least love. But then notice that, that, that Paul says, says, this love has some parentheses. <laughs> Knowledge and discernment, or knowledge and judgment. It has some parentheses. There's some boundaries to this love. And, and if you don't get anything else, I, I want you to get what I'm getting ready to drop on you right now. Because when you love somebody, it does not mean you allow for them to do whatever they want to do and still claim to love them. That love has some boundaries. Okay? And the growth of that love has to be based upon good judgment. So watch this. So if a person is living in sin, you can love them, but that love should be limited. Okay? Let, let me say it again. Let me say it again. I'm getting ready to bless somebody. If a person lives in sin, you can love them, but that love needs to be limited. This is what it means by discernment. Because guess what? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now watch this. When we quote John 3.16, we fail to understand that there are some conditions as far as what John is dropping. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. All right? That's the general. Here come the boundaries. And here come the boundaries that are connected with blessings. That whosoever believe in him shall not perish. So guess what? God can love you and you can still perish if you don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There are boundaries to the love of God. There are boundaries to the blessings that you can get because God loves all of us, 
But all of us will not get the blessings that God has for us until we connect with Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Paul wants us to understand that when it comes to dealing with people in the church and out the church, you're dealing with people need to be based in knowledge and discernment. There are some boundaries. There are some boundaries as far as your love is concerned that you have to operate on. Let me get ready to wrap up uh, as, I, as I move this along. Verse 10. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Okay? Let's look at the word approve. The word approve means to examine. The word excellent means that things are different. Okay? So Paul wanted them to examine what they hear because everything that sounds good ain't good. All right? Paul wants them to hear with a discerning ear because everything that sounds good ain't good that you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Okay? This testing with the view of approving, this is an illustration of you testing metals and coins to determine whether they meet specifies standards, whether they have a certain weight to them. Okay? All right? Paul also was concerned that their relationships with others will be what God would have for them to be. So, let me drop this on you. Paul wanted them to examine what they heard because everything that sounds good ain't good because guess what you can be close and still off track so we should be searching for the truth and, and, and let me just say that 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 in this culture we hear this phrase you know I'm living my truth um, I'm living my truth and, and I think that the word truth has been bastardized by the culture. You can be living the way you want to live, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's truth. Because truth is a person, Jesus Christ. So if the way you're living does not square with Jesus Christ, then you may be living the way you want to live, but it ain't necessarily truth. So Paul wants us to understand that 
the appropriation of truth and the approximation of truth must lead to the application of truth. So when you know truth and you're close to truth, you ought to apply truth. Now, now, now watch this. You can be sincere or have that zeal when it comes to your faith and still be wrong because you don't have knowledge. <laughs> or you don't have the truth of scripture. There, there, there's some wonderful people I've seen have major enthusiasm and then when it comes to the word of God, it's like, no, that ain't what that means. That ain't what the Bible is saying. Oh, that's so off base. They got a lot of zeal and enthusiasm. And so that zeal and enthusiasm has to be seasoned, it has to be tempered with knowledge. Okay? Now, on the other hand, you can have truth and not be sincere. Okay? You can have truth and not be sincere. All right? So it takes both truth and sincerity. The believer who knows better is expected to do better until Jesus Christ returns. And basically, what Paul is saying is that we should be living our lives in such a way that Jesus will not be ashamed of us when he comes back. That's why we need to live every day as if Jesus was coming back on that day. Let me go ahead and wrap up verse 11, and we will be done for this time. Verse 11 being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, this goes back to Paul's writings when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So, if you're going to live righteously, you got to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Because guess what? If righteousness is in you, it's going to come out. People need to see the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. People need to see that there is a sense of love, joy, peace, happiness, self-control, kindness, gentleness in your life. There should be a noticeable difference in your life. Why? Because you are filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, the enemy will cause you to think that you can't live a righteous life. In and of yourself, you cannot. That's why the Holy Spirit is important. That's why we're supposed to be connected to the vine, who is Jesus Christ, because we're nothing but branches. And any branch that's disconnected from a root can't produce any fruit. Paul wanted the Christians to rejoice and give God glory for their changed lives. Living righteousness is not some hard chore. It is a result of the movement and presence of the Spirit to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And when we live righteously, we ought to give God the glory, and God ought to get glory from our righteous life because God sees us living in a way that pleases Him. And when we please God, others will see it, and they will want to know, how can I do what you're doing? Because when you and I live righteously, we are being conformed to the image of of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it is that being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ that becomes the ultimate purpose for our lives. Amen.
Well, I hope and pray that this particular lesson has been a blessing to you. I would love for you too for next week to read the rest of chapter 1 as we will pick up next week as far as study is concerned starting at verse 12. As we prepare to close, if you're watching us live stream, thank you for joining. I, I want to encourage you that if you feel led to, to be a blessing as far as St. Paul Church is concerned, uh, to give at this time. And if you have lost your job, if you've been furloughed, if you've been laid off, I'm not expecting you to give anything. But if you're watching us and you feel led to give, we would love for you to be like the church at Philippi. Be gracious in your generosity. You can give to the church by mailing a check to 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28205. Or you can go right now to our website and follow the giving prompts on our website and give there. Or you can even give using the app called Givelify. Just put it on the offering and you'll get credit as far as that's concerned. What I want to do as far as this time is concerned is to close us out in prayer and um, pray God's blessings and covering over you at this time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are so enthralled by your kindness and your generosity and how this word has unfolded to us. How that church at Philippi, even though it wasn't a big church, even though it wasn't a perfect church, it was such a good church. It was the church that really became Paul's sentimental favorite. And even though Paul had to help them to navigate some issues, Paul understood that they were doing the very best that they could because they had sincerity and knowledge. Help us to become like that even more. God, I pray right now for those who are watching us live stream that you will bless them and bless their efforts for taking time out for Bible study. Bless whatever concerns they may have at this particular time. And we lift them to you. God, we also lift up this country. I am so glad that you're the sovereign God of the universe. And because you're the sovereign God of the universe, we know we can make an appeal to you even when there are issues in our federal government about doing the basic things to care for us. We can come to you. And as the songwriter said, if we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need you now. We need you now. Continue to show yourself strong and mighty in our lives. Trump may be in the White House, but you sit on the throne. And we know eventually you will take that which has been done wrong and you will make it right. We look forward with great anticipation to your move. Now God dismiss us from this time of sharing but never from your presence it's in Jesus name we pray amen God bless you all we look forward to seeing you all on next week as far as our Bible study is concerned and thank God for joining us at this time